Please stand for the reading of scripture. Today's reading comes from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and it'll be found on page 977 in the Pew Bibles. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend all the saints that what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depths, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the full, all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Mariah, for reading God's word for us today, <clears throat> giving honor to God, our Father, and to Jesus, the Son, our Redeemer, and to the Spirit who applies redemption to us, to Pastor Gerald, our faithful shepherd who loves us. And to our church family and all of our friends, good morning. It is a joy to be here with you today. I am thankful for your presence and for our worshiping God together and his presence among us. If you are a guest, I am Eric Redmond. I am a pastor on staff here at Calvary Memorial. And I'm especially glad to welcome you to be among us today. I hope your time with us will find much kindness from the saints of God who are here. And I hope it will be a meeting with Jesus deeply and joyfully. Please keep your Bibles open this morning to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, as we work our way through the passage. Allow me please here to pray before we look at the Word of God together. <clears throat> Thank you, Father, for the reminders in song and confession and prayer. Just how great and awesome you are, and great and awesome you are toward us and for us. Thank you for every reminder of your great love and of this incredible thing that you have done in Christ for us. Be pleased to magnify the name of Christ in every one of us for your glory in Oak Park all across Chicagoland, across the country and among the nations. May Jesus be exalted. May his name be heard today for the first time in places where his name has not yet been known. Would you power our mission partners to proclaim with joy and power and boldness and courage 
would you help them to find doors open for the gospel? Bless now our hearing, God, that we might have humble hearts and obedient hearts. I need your strength and your power to say what you would have said to your people. Among us, magnify the name of Jesus, and we give you thanks. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The immediacy of our daily needs can veil thinking about the needs of the world and our playing a role in the betterment of things for all humanity. We have children we need to get to school and extracurricular activities. We need a plan for braces when they become teens, for the ACT and for college applications. There are latter years past retirement for which we must make financial planning and there are aged parents for whom we must care. There are present health issues we must monitor and decisions needing to be made about job transitions or whether to move or what would be good in terms of maintenance and repair of the things we own and how much of our funds to use at a given time to such ends. Add to this list the reality of many forms of deep disappointments, struggles, pains and tragedies that constantly occupy our feelings and thoughts. Things like, I can't believe I'm still working this hard for so little and I'm just scraping by. Isn't there more to life than work, bills, and binge watching? I wish I could finally be rid of the painful feelings associated with how those people treated me years ago. I thought I would be married by now. Or why didn't my marriage fail when others made it? Why didn't I make better decisions when I was younger? Does anyone see that I am alone? That we are alone in our family? That we could use some help? The Apostle Paul was no stranger to suffering and concerns for immediate needs as one who was in prison at the time of the writing of Ephesians. As he prayed for the Lord to work his blessing into the lives of the Ephesians, he asked for God to do for us things that both, number one, would fully encompass the issues of regular life, while number two, using the individual Ephesians, their church, and us to give our all to participating in something far grander than routine immediate concerns. It is prayer. He gives insight to the various reasons we exist and why and how our existence must meet the challenges to the gospel going to the ends of the earth. For the apostle, we are here to experience 
the fullness of God and to live for God's glory now, in future generations, and forever. Paul's prayer makes three simple-sounding yet incredible requests for the Ephesians and for us. And we should direct our prayers and our lives to these very ends. He prays for God to strengthen us. He prays for God to make us to know His love. And He prays for God to be glorified. Let us consider these three prayer requests Paul makes. Paul prays for us to be strengthened in 3.14 through 17a. For us to accomplish all that the Lord would have us to do, we will need strength for the calling is great and it is fraught with earthly challenges. The Ephesians needed strength because Paul had just explained that he is in prison as part of what God is doing in revealing the mystery of the gospel to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people of the world. Doing what brings God glory has led Paul to suffering imprisonment. But the Ephesians needed to be strengthened so as not to be discouraged by the reality of Paul being treated like a criminal simply for proclaiming the gospel and for living the Christian life. They should not be discouraged by this because through Paul's life of living faithfully before God, two things happened. Number one... The Gentiles heard the message that gave them the same inheritance as Jewish believers by the Spirit's working through faith. Number two, the mystery of Christ's work to redeem us was made known even in the realms of the unseen spiritual beings. The demons saw that they were not stopping the work of God to save people to himself. The angels saw why their Lord gave himself to rescue broken humanity. For the Ephesians and us likewise to be faithful to God in the face of potential suffering for the calling of Christ will take strength that is beyond human abilities. To this end is what Paul is praying. In typical Pauline fashion, especially as we see here in the book of Ephesians, Paul has one main request surrounded by many descriptors. The request in verse 16 is simply that he may strengthen you with power. But consider all the other things that surround the request. Paul's posture of bowing 
demonstrates humility as one lying prostrate before a king for the king to determine if the subject will be humiliated or exalted. Pastor Todd Wilson was correct in recognizing in one sermon years ago that the normal expression of prayer in first century Jewish practice was to pray while standing, even with hands upraised. But here, Paul tells the church that he bows to his knees, calling attention to this prayer as supremely significant. He directs his prayer to the Father. For within the persons of God, the Father is ultimate, even though the Westminster Confession reminds us that the Father, Son, and Spirit are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Twice in Ephesians, Paul directs this kind of prayer to the Father specifically. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he tells us that in the end, Christ will hand over to the Father all of Christ's own reign so that God the Father might be all in all. The word Father does look back to the Lord's prayer. Our Father who is in heaven. It entertains and enters for us a relational aspect to this name. This is the Father with whom we have a special and intimate relationship. But Father also recognizes an order. It is a title used for God in reference to his role as the creator and ruler of all as the phrase, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. All exist by virtue of the Father's will to create us. Paul, therefore, humbly desires the creator of all persons and of all angelic and unseen beings to reach into his unlimited wealth in glory, as the New Living Translation has it, and from that bank or vault that has no end, he wants God to give us strength. This is power that the Spirit of God will make effective toward us. It is not a strength that we can ascertain by competition and by self-discipline. The Spirit must do the work because the strength is for us to experience Christ taking up full residency in us, dwelling in us as we continue to place our trust in Christ. I have a very good friend in another state with whom we mutually, regularly share news posts via Instagram. But the focus of our exchanges are not silly memes or 
sports replays. All that is good, but I'm just explaining to you what, what we exchange. It's not even all my pictures of my favorite foods, which I know many of you see. Instead, many of our posts are about scientific discoveries. We spend much time on NASA and other space agency findings and on Nat Geo excerpts and on things happening under our oceans. Recently, my friend captured the story of scientists discovering four new species of octopus near Costa Rica, and he sent it to me. I typed back, the Almighty is reminding us of who is God and who is not. On back-to-back -back days in mid-January, my friend sent me posts about blue fire flowing from volcanoes in Indonesia by virtue of sulfuric gas igniting rather than from lava, and about the armored desert catfish that can survive on land for several hours while searching for water. My friend wrote his own commentary on these posts, one of awe and one asking, how could the creator make such a creature, one that defies all that we know about fish? Once, in going back and forth, we ran into an explanation of the neutron star. A teaspoon of these stars is denser than the weight of all human weight on Earth combined. The question that we then pose to one another is, why then do we ever doubt God's power? When we make our confession, I believe in God the Father Almighty, 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 maker of heaven and earth. And when Paul bows to this same Father, we are falling before the one far more powerful than the billions of galaxies of neutron stars that he commands. He gives power to fish, to crawl across deserts, and reveals to us new species in the animal kingdom that he has been enjoying since the creation. It is him who Paul seeks to strengthen us for tasks related to the full universe that he has made. And in his strength, we can face all challenges posed in this life while not losing sight of participating in his plan that is greater than any one of our individual lives. Two, Paul prays for God to make us know his love in verses 17b through 19a. Paul prays that flowing from being strengthened by the Father through the Spirit inwardly to have Christ dwell in us fully. So Paul 
is characteristic in bringing together the Trinity in discussing the doctrines and applications he would have us to know in his writings. Here he puts Father, Christ, and the Spirit together to remind us the whole Godhead is working in redemption on our behalf. Paul prays that flowing from being strengthened by God the Father through the Spirit inwardly, to have Christ dwell in us fully, he prays that we might know God's love so this can happen. Basis of the request to know the love of Christ is the love of Christ. The perfect passive forms of the participles having been rooted and having been grounded refer to the strengthenings for indwelling in the previous clauses that Christ might dwell. The full indwelling of Christ brings us to an experience of the love of Christ in such a way that like a tree, we are standing firm in that love, in that power. Things that will come to topple us, the plant. Find that we have a root system, Christ's full presence of love, experienced by being strengthened by the Spirit that keeps us from falling over. Let me go back to Paul's metaphors here again. Things will come to topple us, the plant. But the root system, Christ, full presence of love, which we experience by being strengthened by the Spirit, it is that that will keep us from falling over when those things come to topple us. The full dwelling presence of Christ to strengthen us also lays a foundation for a house to be established firmly. It has grounded us the foundation in the believer of which Paul speaks, again, is Christ's love for us. So, already having love as that which steadies the believer, like a tree steadied by its roots and a house laid on a firm foundation, the request Paul makes here looks for a strengthened ability to comprehend or to grasp something that is beyond our grasping. The four terms of measurement here point to the vastness of what Paul wants us to comprehend. And not just us, but he wants us to comprehend it with all believers everywhere. He wants all of us to grasp the significance of the vastness of Christ's love for us, to know it experientially. Yet, he describes the love of Christ to be beyond the ability to be fully known in this world. Analogously, if, analogously, if I, I could, it's like asking a three-year-old to grasp the mechanics of quantum physics. The difference being that a three-year-old savant possibly could grasp quantum physics because it is knowable. 
but the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love that God has for us goes beyond any ability to fully grasp. So Paul asked the Father to give us the strength of the indwelling Christ to fully know the love in which he roots us and grounds us. All this rooting and grounding and comprehending and knowing of that which surpasses human knowledge is so that each of us might be filled up with God to the fullest measure in our knowledge and in our experiences. Yes, we have all of Christ upon trusting him for salvation. But... That trust in Christ and our justification only initiates our knowing him and the grasping of the significance of who he is for all of our lives. We need a powerful working of the Spirit to assure us of Christ's love when it seems like all of the underworld has been released against our serenity, against our children's ability to make wise choices, against our best efforts to take care of our physical bodies, against all of our attempts that have been faithful to Christ yet now are experiencing abandonment. Rejection, loneliness, or like Paul, imprisonment. It is easy to doubt the love of God for us when we are acting as our own worst enemy, when we can't seem to find success at work, when we are looked upon with disdain for our faith. The tempter easily could say to us, It's not worth all that you have lost or sacrificed. You could have gotten on with your life by now if you would admit your life doesn't seem to reflect that there is a God who loves you. In contrast to the tempter's voice, Paul prays that the presence of Christ in us filling every corner and every crevice of our minds and our hearts with Christ might make us instead hear Christ saying to us, I have chosen you from all eternity. I have died for you, and I have been raised again from the dead for you. I have called you, and I am presently interceding for you, and I am watching over you for good, not just everyone else for good. I am watching over you for good, and I am coming to take you and make you my own forever comprehension of the fullness of the love of Christ in us intends to fight the despair that the problems of this world present so that we can continue pursuing all God calls us to be, do, and have. My last two sermons, I have mentioned four Christian friends Pam and I have who are going through or who have gone through horrendous trials in their lives. As we walk through with each of them, each in different stages of life, we have been horrified and grieved by their suffering. We have wept 
for them and with them. Each of them is in a pain or has experienced a pain that is unimaginable for us. But as much as we can feel it with them, we are feeling it. We lift them up in prayer daily. But then, if and when they would come to us, what do we say to offer them hope of restoration of their losses or a future that has a hope of intimacy for which some of them have long but never experienced in their relationships? Thankfully, each of our friends has experienced enough of the love of Christ to cling to him, even if at some times they're only clinging with the tip of their fingers, to cling to him with the help of many saints standing with them. Their horrendous treatments and our horrendous treatments are reason for them and us to rest and regroup. But as they each know from Christ, their horrendous treatments are not reasons to live in paralyzed despair because Christ has grounded them and us in love even though the visible and practical forms of love are mysteriously bringing suffering to their doorsteps. If you are sitting before me today as one without Christ, but or who is wrestling with the claims of Christ or even denying the reality of Christ, but is here simply as a friend of another who loves Jesus, I want you to know that there is a God who made you for his glory, for his fame. Even though you reject him or you are skeptical about his existence, he has given his son, Jesus, into this world as a demonstration of his love for you and for us, for you who are currently his enemy and for we who are once his enemy but now have been made friends by the love of his son. While you might rest on your self-sufficiency to be successful in this life, which itself, by the way, is a farce because God is giving you his grace even though you don't acknowledge it. You should know that you are not self-sufficient to stand successfully before the judgment of the God whom you have been made to glorify, but you are denying. Please stop the ruse of your self-sufficiency and fall on Christ's sufficiency alone. Three, Paul prays for God to be glorified. As late pastor and writer John Stott notes, it would be good to think of Paul's prayer as a staircase. He wants us to be strengthened so that we might know the love of Christ so that we might have the fullness of God, so that God might be glorified. Everything in the prayer is moving toward us being full of the fullness of God with the glory of God as the reason for all. The fullness of God is penultimate, and that takes care of us having the ability 
to make it through the things of this life. But God being glorified is ultimate, which drives us in this life and in the life to come. Again, Paul bows. And as he bows, he grabs a cache of associated ideas to modify the singular request. The request is, now to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. But the surrounding modifiers magnify the basic request so that we understand Paul is again talking about us being part of something great, something cosmos-sized and worth pursuit in this current age. As a benediction, verses 20 and 21 close out the request of 314 through 19. It closes out this section that was read to us today. But as the benediction here, it also closes out all of Ephesians 1.1 over to 3.21. The conclusion of all Paul has said from 1.1 about the working of God in salvation from before the foundation of the world through the making of one new man in Christ is all about God being glorified in the church and in Christ. Christ stepping into our deadness in sin to make us alive by mercy and to save us by giving us grace and faith in Ephesians 2 is all about God being glorified in his church and in Christ. Everything that has happened in life toward us since the time we have trusted Christ, is so that we would see God's glory in the church and his glory in Christ as the reasons for our being. Our being here is not to win every argument or to prove to our parents that we are not failures, or to make life so that our children can compete at the highest academic, musical, sport, and creative art levels, or that we could be blissfully married or awarded with the highest awards in our arenas of service. All of these are nice and good. And if the Lord gives them to us, we should enjoy them as the blessings from the hand of a good God. And if we have responsibilities in these areas, we must be faithful to them. But none of those are ultimate. The motivation the purpose, the goal of life is the glory of God in us and in Christ, or Paul would have prayed something else for us. The prayer asks that God be glorified, that he be magnified and displayed as the greatest thing, as perfect, as more lovely, more beautiful, and more desirous than all, for him to be praised by all and for all things, and for this to be done for generations beyond the Ephesians' finite lifetimes and for generations beyond our lifetimes. So Paul speaks of him 
God who is able to do far more abundantly. For far more abundantly, Paul coins a word. That means that he has to use a word here that he has to make up because he's run to the limits of language in trying to talk about God. So he says, I've just got to put some words together here to talk about God now. So he's going to invent a word that has never before existed in the Greek language because there's no word that can describe God the way he is talking about him. So Paul coins a word made up of three words that when the three words are strung together into one word, they speak of doing something to an extraordinary extraordinary degree involving a considerable excess over what would be expected. It means, in saying far above, it means infinitely beyond. Way, 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 way beyond in way, way that we can't even imagine. Our God can do infinitely beyond whatever you and I would formulate to ask him or think could be done. Only God can work in us to glorify himself through us in this way. This is no casual, I got this. As I've often said to Pam, to my children, or even my students, when they are facing something they do not have the ability to accomplish but my power or position as a man, father, or professor will allow me to accomplish it for them. When they can't do it, don't worry, I got this. This is no, I got this. This is not like, like that because I might not have the ability to do whatever. I could come against a rule or a level of need to which I can't got this. God has no rival to I got this. Because he is infinite in power. He never meets, oops, I'm sorry. I thought I could get that done for you. But it looks like I won't be able to do that for you. I'm coming up short. No, our finite thinking does not contain enough knowledge to think to the infinite ends of the ability of our God. What we could ask him to do for us through the indwelling Christ is without limits. Charles Spurgeon, British evangelist and pastor, in his sermon, The Wide Open Mouth Filled, published in 1904, the date is important for something we're going to say at the end of his quote. In 1904, he speaks of asking God to fulfill our request, and he references this passage. In an extended quotation, he says, if you ask only for temporal mercies and can be satisfied with them, you may get what you ask. There are gushing springs from which you might drink if you would, but the muddy waters of the Nile River evidently are good enough for you. But if you ask the Lord for spiritual blessings, he is sure to give them to you. 
It is more natural for God to give great things than little things. They are more in his line, more in his way. Therefore, be sure to ask for very great things, says Spurgeon. When you do get to the mercy seat, do not begin asking for littles and go home with trifles, but ask for as big things as ever your soul can desire and as big things as the promises of God cover. Spurgeon says, ask to know all the truth of God. Ask to know the fullness of God. Ask to know the riches of his grace. Ask to know the love of Christ, which passes not and when you have asked for all that, ask for holiness and do not ask for anything less than perfect holiness. He concludes, if we open our mouths wide, India may be evangelized. Remember 1904? And China and the new world of America and the far distant world of Australia will feel the power of the gospel that we take there in the name of the Lord. On these same verses, N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar and former bishop of Durham in the Church of England writes, read verse 20 carefully. Then think of what God might do in you and through you. You as a community. You as an individual. Now reflect on the fact that God is perfectly capable of doubling that and of tripling that and going far beyond it in ways that you would look back at the present moment and wonder how you could be so short-sighted. What is N.T. Wright saying? He's saying even as we ask, we are reaching the limits of our asking, but we are not getting anywhere near what God has the ability to do for us. God is to be glorified in our thinking of what to ask him to be in us, to do through and for us, and to give to each of us and to each local assembly of believers. He is to be glorified the same way in those who will come in the generations after us. Paul is praying with the thought of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren of believers in mind with the idea of people who do not yet know Christ and are not yet even born coming to know Christ and bringing glory to God. He wants God to be glorified in those who will come in generations after us wherever the name of Christ is spoken and for all eternity. Paul looks beyond this life and looks at us standing in the presence of God and giving God glory for what he has done for us in Christ forever and ever and ever. For this to happen, we need all the God we can experience in this life. God Fill me up with all of who you are. God, fill us up with all of who you are. 
God, fill our children up with all of who you are. Our grandchildren, whether born or yet unborn, fill them up with all the fullness of God. For generations below us, for people who live in Chicago land who have never heard the name of Christ, God, fill us up with all of your fullness so they can bring you glory. For this to happen, we need all of the God we can experience. We need the full assurance of the incredible manner in which Christ loves us. And we need the full power of the Spirit of God working in every one of us. Father, we thank you for your grace and goodness toward us in Christ Jesus. Father, take our thoughts beyond our current limitations that are caused by the things we have seen and experienced. And in the power of Christ, take our thoughts to a God without limits who does infinitely beyond. As we pray, God, remind us that we can't even imagine the things that you could do because they are so beyond us and help us to ask big. While in the routines of this life, God, give us the strength of Christ to encounter those things by your power, staying on the path of bringing you glory in all. We love you, Lord Jesus. May your name be magnified in us today. In Jesus' name, amen.